The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Okay, well, if you have your Bibles, we are now uh, open it to Acts chapter 27. And this has been quite a journey, but for those who will be with us uh, tonight and then next weekend will be our last chapter. We'll be finishing the book of Acts. And it's been quite a journey. Um, I have loved going through the book of Acts, seeing the early church and what they were, you know, the, the opposition, the pressure, the persecution they were under. And we relate it to, you know, maybe in one way or another, many levels and layers of kind of what we're feeling, what we're going through right now. And I think tonight has some special revelations as well. The title of the message is God Reveals Secrets. And I want to encourage you tonight, any child of God can hear the voice of the Lord. God speaks to us, and one of the ways He speaks to us is through His Word, and He makes it a living Word. It comes alive. So what I want to say to you tonight is, yes, we're going to go back and, and look in Acts chapter 27. We're going to you know, go through the whole chapter and look at what God said, what God did in the past. But what I want you to know is that's not all we're doing. There is an echo of the same, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what he has said in the past is still true today. What he has declared is still being declared today. Whatever he has promised remains a promise for us. So when you take a promise and you bring it down and say, Lord, this promise is for me, for my situation, for my time, for right now, then the miraculous happens. Amen? Amen. So let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we welcome the Holy Spirit that is here. Oh, how we love you, Lord Jesus, Lord and Savior Jesus. And we want our hearts to be prepared and ready, Lord, at the end of this service to commune with you. May we hear what the Spirit would say to the church. And I pray, Lord, that it would be a word that would encourage people, it would give people comfort and hope and direction and promise and life and love and all of the fruit of the Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, amen. Okay, number one in your outline. We got a lot of little things in the outline to follow along. So <clears throat> number one, why does God allow storms to come into our lives? So Acts chapter 27, uh, basically this whole chapter is a whole story of the Apostle Paul. He's now a prisoner. He's on, getting on a ship and he's on his way eventually to Rome. And it's quite a voyage uh, that he goes on. So chapter 27, verse 1, it says, And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship of Adramidium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coasts of Asia. Now, Aristarchus, so it's telling us who some of the companions of Paul's journey were. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. So that's another brother traveling with Paul. And he also note in verse 2, it says, we put to sea. 
So this is the author of the book of Acts. And so he's not only saying, and Paul went here, he says, we went here. Paul, me, and Aristarchus. So the author of the book of Acts is Luke. So Luke, Aristarchus, Paul are now bound to go to Rome because God has told Paul, you will preach before Caesar and I will bring you to Italy. So in verse three, and it says, and the next day we landed at Sidon and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. Now, this story, as we're gonna see, so they're getting on this ship and and now they're making this uh, huge journey and the whole point of this story is that you've got, you know, some very special cargo. Number one, you've got believers, some very special brothers. But Paul the apostle, who had the revelation of Jesus on the road to Damascus, he is there as a prisoner, really for nothing more than believing that Jesus is the Messiah and that he rose from the dead. Got accused by the Jews in Israel, and now Rome's trying to figure out what to do with him. But now as Paul is on this ship, what we're going to see and read and learn about uh, is very, very fascinating because we're going to be able to relate to it. Uh, Paul on this ship, who's in the will of God, going to where the Lord wants him to go anyway, when he appealed to Caesar, Paul was saying, hey, you want me to go preach before Caesar? I appeal to Caesar. Let Rome pay for my missionary journey. How many are okay with the government paying for any missionary journeys? Amen? But then while he's on the way, they have a shipwreck. So, now, a wreck of any kind is terrifying. Whether it's a train, whether it's a plane, whether it's an automobile, but perhaps the most terrifying of all is a shipwreck because of how slow it goes and the agony. From ancient times, writers have seen life as a journey or a voyage. And we often use the metaphors of a voyage as a metaphor for life. Bon voyage, we say as somebody leaves. Smooth sailing, or don't shipwreck when you're out there, or sink or swim. There's a lot of analogies that come from this. And even when someone has passed away that's a believer, we go, well, they've reached the other shore. So it's interesting that this, is a, this story of Paul who is in the will of God, doing the will of God, on his way to the place God wants him to go, has a shipwreck. And what I want you to be thinking about is, there may be many of us here tonight that you're doing the best you can as a Christian, as a believer, for your family, and in these times, with all, and yet it feels like the ship that you are traveling in is getting attacked, and maybe even falling apart. And it seems like, It is or is going or has gone down. So where's God in the midst of all of this? I want you to look at this scripture, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Let's read this out loud. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Can I hear an amen? Amen. The Lord says, I'm here and I'm with you no matter what happens. Now, it's interesting. On this ship, you've got Julius, who is a Roman... Uh, centurion, and he was a, a soldier. Uh, and again, the Bible basically gives a very high view of those who served, even in the armed services and even in ancient Rome. They were men of character. Um, this, you know, it says he was of the Augustan rule. That means he was a personal guard or had been at one point for Caesar. This man, Julius, was the elite of the elite. 
He was part of the Roman Special Forces, a seasoned and brave officer and soldier. And what's interesting is that on this journey, a real bond begins to develop a relationship of mutual respect and trust between Julius and Paul. Now, Julius is the highest one in command. Even the captains, yeah, they run the ship, but he's running the whole thing representing Rome. But by the end of this story, what God allows to happen through nature and the shipwreck and Paul and who he is and how God is going to divinely speak to him, it's the guy that's in chains, the prisoner, who's basically in charge of running the ship and which way we should go. So God can take and use his people at any place, at any point, and at any time. Now look with me in verses 4 through 8. He says, now when we had put to sea, from there we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus, because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off uh, Cilicia and Pamphylia, and came to Myra, a city of Lycia, and there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. And when we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off uh, Snidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmon, passing it with difficulty. And we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lasia. So I want you to, you know, just to note this, as we look at these verses and all that is happening, uh, God is with them, God is with Paul, he is moving in a mighty and a powerful way. Look with me in verse nine, it says, now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman. So he listened to the prisoner guy, and the prisoner is going, hey, I, you know, Paul actually had a lot of sailing experience. He'd been on ships. He'd already been three times in missionary journeys around the Mediterranean. He knew what he was talking about. But, you know, Julius, he doesn't really, he respects Paul, doesn't know him very well. He goes, no, I'm going to let the guys in charge. I mean, these are the sea uh, people and the captain. So the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. Paul said, don't do it. So the Roman guy's like, eh, I'm not going to listen to him. He's a prisoner. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also. If by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. So something just very small I want you to notice in verse 9. It says, when much time had been spent, the sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over. What fast? In Jewish culture, that would have been the day called Yom Kippur. That would have been what we call the Day of Atonement. So what I want you to note is that Paul is still Jewish. Paul is a believer in Jesus. It's the beginning and the birth of Christianity. But Paul is still aware, and in his conversations and relationships, let's say with Luke, who is with him, or Aristarchus, they're following the biblical calendar. They're relating everything to the feasts of the Lord. 
So one thing that if you go to Maranatha for very long, you find out that we follow God's biblical calendar. Can I hear an amen? We want to know what, it, what is God's calendar? What is going on in, in the months that God has given to us? So here it was, uh, and it's during that time means it was probably late September, early October. That's when storms begin. So Paul was putting the calendar of the Lord together with what normally happens out on the seas, and he's warning them, I don't think this is a great idea. And they are not really much paying attention. But I want you to look at here, verses 13 through 20. Because he is a savior, he shows up when all hope is lost. So look with me in verse uh, 13. It says, when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire. So remember, Paul has said, don't go now. Don't go in this direction. Uh, a storm could come. But Julius says, nah, you know, thank you for your advice, but I'm going to listen to the sailors and the captain. And they start off, and everything is wonderful. It's a beautiful, gentle south wind. And south from that area, men, it was coming up from Africa, so it was kind of warm and balmy and beautiful. And they're just having a great time that they had obtained their desire. Putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But look at verse 14. But not long after that, a tempestuous headwind arose called Eurocladon, which is a nor'easter. You ever, anybody heard of the nor'easter? When those things blow through, they're dangerous. Typhoons. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. Now, this is frightening. This was a ship that apparently was large enough, we find out later, that it was not only carrying uh, prisoners on their way to Rome, but it had a dual purpose. It was carrying wheat because it was bringing wheat uh, to Rome and to the capital from whence it went out to the Roman Empire. So this is a big cargo ship with some prisoners on it, and there's not a lot of control. They need pretty much good weather. It can't maneuver real well, and it gets so radical that they can't steer. They can't navigate. So they're basically at the mercy of the storm. So we, we just let her drive. They had to just try to ride it out. And running under the shelter of an island called Claudia, we secured the skiff with difficulty. And when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground on the Syrian sands, they struck sail and so were driven. Now, basically what that means is that they took cables, they slid them down and under the ship to tie this giant ship up, basically like a package, to try to hold it together because it was literally with the waves and with the slapping of these waves coming against it, was ready to literally come apart. Then you have all that heavy grain that is being thrown around, shifting around, uh, and waves that are beyond their capacity to deal with, and the ship's ready to tear apart. And they basically go, we're just gonna have to ride it out and see what happens. Now look with me beginning in verse 18. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. 
<laughs> now that's scary. You're starting to throw supplies over the side of the ship. And on the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. So they want to try to get control of the ship and try to lighten the load that they have, and they're throwing provisions and all kinds of stuff over. And then in verse 20, look at this. Now, when neither sun nor stars. So I want you to imagine, not only there's a storm, not only are there winds, not only is like a typhoon, not only is there gray clouds, but it, there's no, they don't see the sun, they can't see the stars by night or the moon, which means in those days, you have no idea where you're going, you have zero navigation. So verse 20, now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. This is frightening. Uh, we, we had, the only way to guide the ship was by the sun and the stars. They can't see it. And so here's what I, you know, I want you to imagine this ship you know, just being knocked around, blown around, it's literally starting to break apart. You've got these cables that are trying to hold this thing together, and everybody's in the same situation. That includes Luke, Aristarchus, and the Apostle Paul. But I, I want you to know this. Uh, and by the way, <laughs> you know, you, you, I'm wondering, why is God allowing this to happen? Do you think that ever entered into Paul's mind? Like, Lord, I'm going, you know, like I got to go to Nero or I've got to go preach the gospel and could I have kind of a decent trip to be able, can we make it there? Do you know how many times the Bible tells us Paul was in shipwrecks? Three times. Three times. This is the third time. <laughs> so Paul has been through this once before, but I wonder if he didn't ever ask, Lord, why? And then for Paul, being the third time, it's like, again? <laughs> I've already been through two shipwrecks. Lord, you're going to do this again? Why all of this difficulty when the apostle is trying to fulfill God's word? And the situation, I, you know, how many of you know Paul and Aristarchus and Luke were praying their brains out, right? What happened to the situation while they're praying? It got worse. I wonder if I am speaking to anybody that's been in a situation, you've been hit by a storm, maybe you're being hit by a storm now, and you start diving into the Word, you start reading more devotions, you start praying real seriously, and the result is things actually get worse. And you're going, why am I doing, Lord, are you hearing me? You know, it's like brass, are, do you care? Do you see what's going on? Paul's situation gets worse and worse as it goes along. Why is God allowing this? Now, look, we all know, like Paul, we believe in God created the heavens and the earth. So God is the author of all the winds and the forces of nature. Jesus rebuked a storm. So that doesn't happen here. So why is it happening? What is God up to? Why is the Lord allowing this to happen? Okay, we're going to get the answer in some verses down the road. But anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> okay, look with me in verses 21 through 26. And I'm going to just have this. This is where it really begins. The rubber begins to meet the road. So I want you to put this in your outline. This is a quote from the Apostle Paul saying to, remember Lysias, the, the Roman guy, 
when Paul said, look, it may seem nice now we're in the harbor, but you go out there because of what time it is, it's not a good idea. We should not go, we should not go that way, and we should not go now. And Lysias said, nah, I'm not gonna listen to you. Thanks for the advice, prisoner Paul. I'm gonna listen to the captain. So he listened to the captain. Well, look what happens now in verse 21. So now they're everybody on the ship, except maybe Paul and his friends, have lost all hope. Many days, no small tempest beat on us that all hope we should be saved was finally given up. Verse 21, but after long abstinence from food. <laughs> Does anybody, can you imagine why they're not eating food? Because, you know, how many of you have ever been seasick? And, and you're like, I don't care if I never eat the rest of my life, right? That's why they can't eat. They're being thrown up and down. They probably cannot sleep. It's terrifying. But after the long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them. So in the midst of this chaos, and the whole ship is full of depression, despair, we're all gonna die, Paul stands up in the middle of everybody. <laughs> what is the first thing he says? Men, you should have listened to me. <laughs> Ah, you know, oh man. You know, th those words can seem sweet when you share them, but uh, how many have found that it doesn't work all that well? You should have listened to me, especially when you try to say it to your spouse. Of course, you've never done that, right? Never, never. But he says, men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred, he goes, you're to blame for this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart. So he holds them accountable. You made the decision, here we are. You didn't listen to me, here we are. But I urge you, be encouraged. And then Paul gives a word that would have been like lightning on that ship for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. Paul tells everybody there because the Lord has come to him. He says, every single one of you is not gonna die. I am telling you, you're gonna live. Now, I don't, I, I don't have good words for the ship. Ship's not gonna make it, but you are going to make it. And then he tells them why. Now, that must have, you know, I'm sure he had everybody's attention. In verse 23, for there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong. I'm sure that the other people there and the sailors and other soldiers had heard about Paul. There was some religious thing. He believes in some guy named Jesus who did miracles. And so now Paul is saying, hey, I'm telling you, none of you are gonna die because there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong. They're like, what? An angel was on our ship? And he talked to that guy? And he says, whom I serve. And this is what he said, do not be afraid. So I, I imagine everybody at that point, I, I don't think anybody was worried about believing in angels. You saw an angel, what did the angel say? Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar meaning you're gonna make it to Italy, meaning you're not gonna perish, that everybody on this ship will survive. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just 
as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Okay, so Paul says, you should have listened to me. Now, I really don't think he's saying it so he can say, I told you so. Here's what I think he's trying to do. He's trying to awaken them. Do you remember when I told you not to go? Yes. You did it anyway? Yes. He goes, well, the, the only reason I'm bringing that up is because I'm going to tell you something now, and because you didn't believe me the first time, but now that what I told you came to pass, how many of you are going to listen to me this time? And I'm going to give you the promise, nobody's going to perish, nobody's going to die, ship's not going to make it, but we're all going to be okay. And in fact, the God I serve sent his angel to stand right next to me and tell me that. That must have been powerful. What an explosion of hope. And, and it's like, what? The supernatural happened on this ship? Sailors are by nature very superstitious anyway. You want every good vibe you possibly can. So they're probably very open to hearing about angels, supernatural, we're not going to die. It was a little bit of hope. And Paul begins to uh, minister to them and to encourage them. I love it. There will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. Now, let me ask you this. Um, so God's intervening. God sees the storm. God allowed the storm. God sends an angel, and he tells everybody that nobody is going to lose their lives. Question, since God is all-powerful, God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, why didn't God just divert the storm to go off now sideways, and everything calms down, and they go in? Why does God, he gives this word, he sends the angel, Paul speaks to them, but Paul tells them, you're going to be saved, but now I need you to listen to what I say and trust me. But secondly, he says, but the ship is not going to make it. Why does sometimes God allow the ship we're sailing with? So let's say the ship can be a metaphor for your livelihood, your job, some situation, you know, that you're, you know, it's kind of, this is part of who you think you are, and this is how I deliver what I have or bring to my family or whatever. And then God says, hey, I'm going to save you. I'm going to spare you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to supernaturally help you, but the ship may not survive. Why? What is, what is God doing? Well, there's several things. Uh, number one, God is saying that he is about saving people more than he is about saving ships. And what I mean by that is God wants to save individuals. The ship that we may be in now may not be able to survive the things that are coming down the road. But our faith and confidence and peace do not come in the vessel upon which we are cruising, but it comes as the prisoner the Apostle Paul had, the visit of the angelic being who gave me the word, nobody's going to die. You're all going to be home, going home and seeing your families. Your life is not over. The creator God that I serve. And, and guess what? The angel said, their lives have been granted to you, Paul. What does that tell you that Paul was doing? Paul was praying. Not just for himself and his two buddies. Paul was praying for those lost men. Maybe Lysias most of all. Kind of these two generals, warriors. Paul, a soldier of the cross of Jesus Christ. That he is alive. That he is risen. That he is the Messiah. That he appeared to me. And now you know that what I told you came to pass. So now I need you to trust me and what is now going to take place. God is interested in saving people. The ship 
you know, some people say, yeah, your, your company, your job, your whatever it is, it's a sinking ship. And you're like, oh, it's okay. You're, what do you mean it's okay? Because guess what? Even though this ship sank, God's plans for Paul did not change. God was going to bring Paul to Rome. So guess what God had to provide? Another ship. How many know it's no big thing for God to provide another ship? He could have saved this one and kept it from breaking, but he let it break. And I have another idea. So why did God let Paul go through this third time shipwreck? But he says, no one will lose their lives. Just they're going to be listening to you. Is because God wanted to bring that whole ship who then gets physically saved at the end of their experience. You know that every single one of them had heard the Apostle Paul share the good news of Jesus as the Savior of the world, the Messiah who rose from the dead. And I believe that God allowed for that ship to be totally destroyed so they had nothing but their own lives to come home and tell their families so that as we will find out, they will, I believe, they become believers. And we're going to meet some of those guys that were in the shipwreck up in heaven. Can I hear an amen? How many of you want, hey, let's plan in our heavenly day planner. How many of you want to have lunch with me and some of the guys that were on that ship with Paul that all broke apart? Let's have lunch. Lord, put it in the calendar in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So I want to, you know, here's the scripture. James chapter 5, verse 13. Let's read it out loud. The prayer of a righteous man releases great power. I love this. Paul prayed, not just for him, not just for Luke and Aristarchus. He prayed for these lost men that were lost for eternity. And God heard his prayer. And God saved, we're going to find out, you know how many were on that ship? 276. 276. Now you had spouses and children, well over a thousand people that are being represented. And the Lord, because of Paul, one man, because he prayed, God heard his prayer, and it releases great power there in the midst of a storm. So I just want to say this, God speaks secrets to his children. Paul was given inside information, divine revelation. Paul was in the same storm, he was in the same typhoon, the same danger, the waves were just as high, and the apparent hope was just as lost to the Apostle Paul, except that Paul prayed and God heard his prayer and answered his prayer and divinely intervened and even sent an angel. So what I want to say to you is that if you're in a ship that may not be making it into the near future, or it's coming apart or it's already come apart, pray because the Lord will hear your prayer and he is going to give you divine secrets. There are, there are divine hidden resources that God has that we don't know about. And you tap into them when everything is falling apart, when all is lost, when you can't hold it together, you can't save it. I mean, every board and plank broke up. The ship was lost, but the people were saved. So God has great secrets. We must hear his voice, hear his word. And then the Lord told Paul, now encourage them. Speak a word of hope and life and blessing to them. So verses 27 through 32, God's promises 
include man's obedience. Look with me at verse 27. It says, now when the 14th night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they took soundings again, and there was 15 fathoms. And then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for the day to come so they didn't crash. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, so you see what they're saying? The, the sailor guys, they're basically gonna, they're, they're gonna leave the poor people, let alone the prisoners, and probably the Roman guys, for themselves, they don't know how to run a ship, so they're gonna get the lifeboats and take off and save themselves. <laughs> um, but Paul, look at what Paul says in verse uh, 31. He says, Paul said to the centurion, so that's the guy that rules the whole ship, and to the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and they let it fall off. Do you see the subtle switch here? Who's in charge? Paul, the prisoner, in chains, attached to a Roman soldier. He says, if you let those sailors go, he goes, you're gonna perish. Because nobody here knows how to run that boat. They do. So the soldiers immediately went and they cut it off and said, no, no, we're staying here. We're listening to the guy that said an angel stood next to him and we're not gonna die. We're following him. Everything was turned around. So I want you to note that Paul had promised no one here will die. But Paul follows that up by saying, unless these men stay in the ship, you will not be saved. In other words, God made a promise, but it's also if you guys all start doing your own plans, the whole thing will fall apart and I'm not responsible for you. God will save every life if you listen to his voice. So there's, God makes a promise, but we have our responsibility. We can't just stand there and wait for it. You know, we have to do what we're supposed to do. Can I hear an amen? We've got our part. And so, unless these men stay in the ship, you'll not be saved. So the soldiers came to the sailors and said, you're not going anywhere, you're staying on the ship, and they needed them, and God used them. So look, verses 33 through 38, an interesting revelation. There's a tie between the physical and the spiritual within each of us. So verse 33 says, and as the day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food. Remember, they were all seasick and 14 days, and, and so now Paul finally says, look, today's the 14th day you have waited and continued without food, and you've eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. Wow, that's encouraging. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. And then they were all encouraged, and also they took food for themselves. And in all, there were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. I love this because the physical weakness was due to their spiritual despair. And therefore, their spiritual cure 
was found by them physically beginning to eat and get nourished so they could have strength, they could think, they could get out of their stupor and do what needs to be done. And Paul encourages them, not a hair of your head is going to perish. And then he not only told them you need to eat something, but then he said, give me some bread because everybody's just sitting there seasick and weird. (laughs) So he goes, give me some bread. So he gets some bread. And then before the whole 276 soldiers, sailors, and all the rest, and other prisoners, he says, oh God, oh God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, oh, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for this bread. Thank you that you spoke to me by your angel. We shall not perish. Thank you for this bread. And then he starts eating it. And all of a sudden, by them seeing Paul being an example, their fear left them, and they were like, you know, come to think of it, I am really hungry. I haven't eaten anything for 14 days. So they start eating. And it was a beautiful example. That's how you can be a model and an example for your family, for your home, for your children, coworkers, etc. We need to lead the way. So let's look at finally verses 39 through 44. I love this. This is kind of the end of the story. God overpowers satanic opposition. Verse 39, it says, and when it was day, They did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible, and they let go the anchors and left them in the sea, meanwhile loosing the rudder ropes. And they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore, but striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. There it goes. If you put your trust in the ship, it's all gonna break apart. But when they put their trust in the word of the man of God who spoke the word of hope and that you will live, they were able to get to the shore and survive. Verse 42, and the soldier's plan, now here's, here, look, the enemy was still going after Paul. So the soldier's plan, now that the ship's gonna be destroyed, the soldiers are responsible for the prisoners and the idea was that if you're a Roman uh, you know, guard and your prisoner escaped and his sentence was death, and now you can't find him anymore, then his sentence became your sentence. So like, oh, these, they're gonna run to the you know, island and take off and run and we won't be able to find them and then they're gonna kill us. So we, let's just gather them all up and kill them. Among whom is Paul, Aristarchus, and Luke. So the, I want you to just see, the enemy just never quits. He never gives up. He's always going after us. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, notice Paul had won his trust. And he probably looked at Paul and realized, that guy's not going anywhere. He's not running, and he's not even afraid. Kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest, some on boards. (laughs) That means the ship totally broke apart. And some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. I just want to close by saying this. What's behind a lot of this was the enemy, the devil. The enemy did not want Paul to go to Rome because it was the strategic center of the empire and it was the very headquarters of evil on earth at that time. 
And the devil did not want this mighty apostle Paul coming in the strength and in the power of the risen Lord Jesus Christ and move into that city and start breaking down his long-held strongholds. But it was too late. And Paul is going to get to Rome. And nothing that the enemy does, there's not a thing the enemy could do to stop him. Three times shipwrecked, Paul's going, yeah, I've seen this before. I'm going to be fine. And you all who listen to me, from what the angel said, you're going to live. And it all happened just as the Lord said. So why did the Lord allow the ship to reach the shore without wrecking? I believe it's because sometimes trials of this severity are used by the Lord to make men finally run to him for a savior. When everything is breaking apart, Would you not agree? You need a savior. And that's why God sent Jesus. That's why he's called a savior because the world needs a savior. And Jesus is not only the savior of the world, but he can be your personal Lord and savior as well. Amen. Psalm 34 verse 19. And we'll close with this scripture. Let's read it out loud. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. This is the story of our lives. We're going to have many afflictions. We're going to have many shipwrecks. It's okay. You've probably been through a few ships already. (laughs) But the Lord has already delivered us, and he will yet deliver us. In a sense, you could say, Acts chapter 27, the apostle Paul, everything went wrong that could go wrong. But then it turned out all right, because Paul was with the Lord Jesus. And as long as we are with the Lord Jesus, hear his voice and follow him, everything's going to be okay. Amen? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.